0: Number one, that you understand the Holy Spirit, that he's beginning to transform your life, is that your life has noticeable changes in it. Now, I know that seems very blanket statement, but we're going to work through that. Your life, as a Christian, has noticeable changes that other people around you, both believers and non-believers, are noticing those changes in your life. Let's begin by reading Acts chapter 2, the first few verses. We'll go verses 1 through 5. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together. This is the disciples. This was after Jesus' ascension. The disciples are waiting. Jesus told them to wait in Acts chapter 1. And the disciples on the day of Pentecost were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then jump with me down to verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Now, let's pause at that point in the story for just a moment and try to grasp what's going on and define our terms a little bit. If you have been around Christianity for a little bit, maybe when you read the first verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that word Pentecost is Pentecostal. Pentecostal. Any of you come from the background of a Pentecostal church? It's okay. You can admit it. It's a safe place. you come from a Pentecostal church? One of the ways you know you're from Pentecostal background is if you don't know him as the Holy Spirit, but you know him as the Holy Ghost. We got some people who come from Pentecostal background here. If you know the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost, chances are you came from Pentecostal background. Now, What we're referring to right now is a denomination of Christianity that puts a lot of emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things the Pentecostal denomination does is they focus on those particular manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just make a quick comment on that and then draw our eyes back to the text. One of the reasons that I, I think sometimes our Pentecostal brothers and sisters might have taken some of the ideas of Scripture and run just a little too far with it is because all through Scripture, when we see the Holy Spirit, He's oftentimes referred to by some theologians as the shy member of the Trinity. Every time we see the Spirit, it's never to bring about attraction to Himself, to the Holy Spirit. He's always acting as a floodlight towards Jesus Christ. And so whenever we think of the spirit moving in and among us, whenever we think about the manifestation of the spirit and how he gives gifts to men and all the wonderful things he does in and through followers of Christ, the attention the spirit desires is always that that would serve as a floodlight towards Jesus Christ. That Jesus would ultimately be lifted up and not the Holy Spirit. Now I am grateful for my Pentecostal brothers and sisters and the work they have done around the globe, but I want to give that background to help us think about this well. In this particular verse, it says when the day of Pentecost came. So that's not referring to that denomination, it's referring to a Jewish holiday Jewish holiday, which was the celebration of the harvest, reminding ourselves that that God was the one who brought in the harvest. And on this particular day, all the Jews were gathered together in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this Jewish holiday called Pentecost. And all of a sudden, this thing happened. When the disciples were sitting there, unbeknownst to them, they didn't didn't know it was going to happen just like this, but the text says a noise like a mighty rushing wind filled the room where the disciples were. A different translation might be the sound of a Category 5 hurricane swept through the small room that they were were in. Imagine that for a moment. You're sitting in a room, and all of a sudden, a Category 5 hurricane just sweeps through the entire room. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? And in that moment, what we understand is that it was the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, literally invading earth and invading those men and those women's hearts. The Spirit took up residence in the disciples' hearts and began doing supernatural things through them. Specifically in this particular case, they started speaking in foreign languages. Imagine that for a second. These 12 disciples, untrained men from Galilee, all of a sudden they're speaking in fluent Phrygian, fluent Pamphylian. They never studied that language, but because they were filled by the Spirit, something new was coming out of them, something powerful And the language here of filling is very important to understand. That's the language that the scripture used. It says that the house was filled and then the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. This language of filling, essentially what it means is it's this idea of a container being so filled up that there's literally no more room in that container and it's overflowing. You get that picture there? It's so filled up by the Spirit of God inside their hearts. Their life is so overflowing with the third member of the Trinity invading their bodies that they're overflowing God in their life. And what comes out in this moment is that they start doing supernatural stuff. They're so filled with God that God is coming out of them, contacting the people around them and speaking to people who have never heard the gospel before. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we believe the exact same thing happens to you. Before you ever know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there is no Holy Spirit that can fill you. But the moment that you actually trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you look to the cross, you say, that is the place in which all my sin is paid for. Jesus has done it all. My faith is in Christ, his death and resurrection. At that moment, the Holy Spirit then invades you and fills you. He fills you all the way up. There is no lacking. He doesn't partially fill you up and leave you wanting more. All of the fullness of God, all of the blessings of God, then fill you, and you are capable of then overflowing God into other people's lives. That's what's happening in this moment. Now, let me show you three ways that we see this first principle being lived out by the disciples in this moment. Three ways. The principle was this. You know you're understanding and being filled by the Spirit because you're being noticeably changed by others. I see Peter, he was noticeably changed in three ways. Number one, Peter all of a sudden goes from full of cowardice to full of courage, doesn't he? Peter, keep in mind, 50 days earlier when Jesus was arrested, Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover, 50 days earlier when Jesus was arrested, It was Peter, one of the closest friends of Jesus, who ran away in fear, who did not want to be associated with Jesus because he was afraid of getting arrested. And yet here he is, filled by the Holy Spirit, standing in front of a whole group of people who may have been some of the same people that were persecuting Jesus 50 days earlier, and yet he's full of courage. This is good news for us. This means no matter how many times in your past you think you've let God down, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how many sins you have in your past, no matter how bad you think you've been in some former life of yours, no matter what you've done that you think you've distanced yourself and made yourself in unable to be used by God in any major way, God can do anything on any day with anybody. There is no gap between you and what God could do through you today. Today, Peter was changed like that from a coward to full of courage. Number two, he went from unequipped to completely equipped. Here's fishermen from Galilee. Look, actually, in the text, the first thing that the people around them say is, aren't these just fishermen? Aren't these men just from Galilee? How are they able to speak in these languages? Here's men who had no training formally in preaching. They didn't know how to preach a sermon. They had never gone to seminary. They never had formal education in these things. They had no training in these languages that God was using them to speak To speak in. They had no training on how to arrange a church, how to structure a church, how to create various ministries and create on-ramps to the people around to get involved and to start serving. They had no formal training in any of these things, and yet God fully equipped them in that moment to do that work. See, he was utterly changed. And one of the principles that we draw out of this is that Jesus doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. See, until you know that, that, you can't quite fully understand the Holy Spirit. You don't need any formal background to be used in any major way by the Holy Spirit in God's kingdom. It goes hand in hand with the former principle we just said. Your education or lack of education has no bearing on how God will choose to use you in his kingdom. It has no bearing whatsoever. Did you know D.L. Moody, the great Chicago evangelist who brought tens of thousands, perhaps, to faith in Jesus Christ, whose legacy we still walk in today in this room because Park Community Church was planted by Moody Church, which was founded by D.L. Moody. Did you know he had a third grade education and was a shoe salesman in Chicago? When the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and then transformed his life. If God can get a hold of that man and do that through his life, What can he do through you? God changes us by equipping us for the work he's called us to. If he's called you to it and you got the spirit, you got everything you need. You don't need anything else. Number three, Peter went from fearful... Joyful. Now, this one's good. God changes his countenance. Look at what happens in verse 13. Chapter 2, Peter gets up and the disciples are speaking in these different languages. Chapter 2, verse 13. But others mocking said, They've got to be filled with new wine. Now, just in case your holiness doesn't allow you to understand what those mockers were saying, they were saying, Those guys are tailgating Pentecost. They've been drinking early in the morning. Literally, the crowds were confused at the countenance of the disciples because they were so joyful and overflowing with God in their life that they thought they were drunk. Peter, I love Peter in this moment. He stands up. His first line is this Peter's very first sermon he ever gets starts off this way It's too early for us to be drinking. Yeah. That's how Peter's first sermon started. I imagine the other disciples in that moment just scratching their heads and Peter, that is not a great start to this whole day. Right? By God's grace, God's given us men like Peter who sometimes put their foot in their mouth. But look at what happens. Peter then gets up and starts to preach the mighty wonders of God. And all through chapter 2, all Peter's doing is recounting the things he has learned. He's got no training He's got no formal education in how to do this. He's just recounting the stories of God in his life. And it says that 3,000 people were saved on that day. God changed Peter from a fearful man who was hiding to so full of joy that people were wondering what got into him and were trying to think of some explanation. And while they were scratching their heads trying to figure out the explanation of what got into Peter, he stood up and said, let me tell you what got into me. Joy unspeakable got into me. Joy unspeakable. One of the first signs that you are filled by the Holy Spirit is that you have a joy unspeakable in your life. This abounding, steadfast, certain, full of conviction joy. Let me ask you, are you you a grumpy person? (laughs) I, I say that kind of in jest and yet kind of serious. Are you one of those people that wakes up in a Monday morning and it's like, man, just don't talk to me because it's Monday and the first half of your day at work, everyone knows don't talk to Janet because she is still drinking her coffee today. There's no room for that with the Holy Spirit. See, when the Holy Spirit fills you, joy unspeakable comes into your life. People who don't deserve grace, people who don't deserve the love of God, that's you and me because of our sin, have encountered the holiness of God. And while we should be in fear underneath the wrath of God because of our sin, one man, Jesus Christ, bore all of our sin on the cross, and then because of his his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, he gives life in full both here in this life and in eternity to those who don't deserve it. If ever there was a reason for a life on fire full of joy and peace and overwhelming satisfaction, it's that one man paid my debt on the cross when I was unable. See, joy unspeakable fills the heart of people who who are followers of Christ. It's always been that way. It's always been a defining characteristic of followers of Christ. Somehow I think we forget that. And I think we forget it because we're not understanding with full adequacy the power of the Holy Spirit and what Christ has done for us. When you get the cross, you get joy. You can't have it any other way. Recently, I was reading this book. It was a book on history called Destroyer of the Gods by Larry Hurtado. And Larry Hurtado, what he tried to do was explain how first and second century Christians literally radically changed the entire Roman Empire. He's trying to mark what was different about these first and second century Christians in the midst of this totally pagan culture of first and second century Rome that overtook Rome and Christianity ended up becoming the major religion. How is it possible that that happened? Let me take a quote and put it up here for you. At one point, he cites a letter that was written to a man named Diognisius. This is called the Epistle to Diognisius. And in this letter, this non-Christian is describing the Christians of his day. Listen to what he says. He's talking about the Christians. He says, they're not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, by language, or custom. They follow the local customs in dress and food and other aspects of life. And yet also, they demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. Christians participate in everything as citizens, but have to endure everything as foreigners. Furthermore, Christians marry, just like everyone else, and have children, but they do not expose their offspring. That was a first and second century version of abortion. They share their food, but not their wives. In other words, they don't participate in casual sex. They live on this earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the laws of the land in which they live, but live personally by a much higher standard. Interesting line. Though dishonored, slandered, insulted, and cursed, they bless in return and offer respect. When unjustly punished, they rejoice as though brought to life. What do people say about you? When they look in your life, your co workers, your friends, when they see you, and they're writing to their family and their friends, and they're saying, You know, I know this Christian. I'm getting a first-hand look at his life. What do they notice? Is there any distinctive in your life? Is there anything that marks you as peculiar? Is there any way in which Jesus Christ is, is so filling you, remember, so filling that then God is overflowing out of your life into other people's life around you? That's what it means to be filled by the Spirit. It's an overflowing in others. Is that happening? Is your life just blending in with everyone around you? See, I think one of the problems, one of the reasons we do this is we tend to memorialize Christianity. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes I think the way we describe the gospel and the way we describe what Jesus Christ has done for us is something in the past. It's this past event that we put structures and memorials around and tombs around and we look backwards at this great event that happened in history and we see it entirely as a historic event. Now, in part, that's true. Let me tell you how I think sometimes we recount the gospel. We say this, this is what Christianity means. I believe that I am a sinner that is in great need of the love of God and that one man came, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came. He lived a life that I could never live and then died a death I could never die, absorbing all the wrath of God on the cross. And then he was placed in the grave. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, I am now forgiven and I get the blessings of God. Now all of that is true. That is part of the Christian story. But might I suggest that the fullness of the Christian story is much bigger than that? The fullness of the Christian story sounds like this. We are full of sin. And yet in the midst of our sin, one man, Jesus Christ, entered into this earth, lived a life we can never live, died a death we can never die, because he absorbed all the wrath of God against our sin. He was placed in the tomb. But then three days later, he rose from the grave. And then he appeared to many of the disciples, and then he ascended into heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit to invade earth, to fill the hearts and the minds of followers of Christ, to then reach for himself a people from every tongue, tribe, nation, around the globe until the great and mighty day when Jesus Christ returns. That's the fullness of the gospel. And when we miss it, When we stop the gospel just at the death of Jesus Christ and forget the indwelling of the Holy Spirit empowering you to overflow God into people's lives, we memorialize Christianity. And we say, look at this thing in the past. Rather than saying, look at my life. Look at God working through me. He's alive and well and the story is still being written. Jesus Christ, when you are filled by the Spirit, noticeably changes you. Number two, what Jesus started, the Holy Spirit is finishing through you. What Jesus started, the Holy Spirit is finishing through you. One of the most amazing things Jesus ever said in my mind, I take that back. He says a lot of amazing things. Everything he said was amazing. But this particular verse always sticks out to me. John chapter 16, verse 7. I think it'll come up behind me. Jesus says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. Do you believe that to be true? Jesus is saying, it's better that I go away from you and that the Holy Spirit comes to you rather than I stay with you right now. Do any of us actually believe that or live that way? Do you believe that it's better to have the Holy Spirit in you than Jesus Christ beside you right now? I'll be honest, right now, I'd love Jesus Christ beside me. I'd sit down, I'd let him talk, and I have a feeling that would be pretty powerful. And yet Jesus says, it's better that the Holy Spirit fills you than that I stand beside you. There is no more important work than what God is doing right now around the globe. Winning for himself. Gathering for himself, a people, to worship before the throne from every tongue, tribe, and nation around the globe. Now, I say this almost every sermon, and I will always say this in almost every sermon, because I think we constantly need to be reminded of the mission of God. That the same God who started the mission to win for himself a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, continued it through Abraham, is now doing that through every follower of Christ. And we can never let that slip from us. That's one of the reasons why I think one of the most important ministries we do on a Sunday morning is our children's ministry. Because in those rooms over there, we have about 50 students who may not yet know Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior who need to hear the gospel every single week, who need to encounter Jesus Christ through your lives. Because the Great Commission is happening right there in those rooms right now. God is gathering for himself a people. And I think one of the first things we notice, one of the first acts the Holy Spirit does when he... Fills mankind is to actually fulfill part of the Great Commission. Read with me verses 6 through 12. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. Look at what happens. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they say, verse 6, "...and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans?" And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Let me put a map up for you. I see Jackson Crumb in the back back there. If there's a preacher who knows how to use a good map, it's Jackson, so I know you'll appreciate this. This is where all those nations that just got listed, the very first act the Holy Spirit does through one untrained fisherman from Galilee is he has him preach to the known world at the time. That's where those nations are from. You see, when we get filled by the Holy Spirit, we get wrapped up into the mission of God that he has been going to accomplish from the very beginning. And it doesn't get diminished Not one follower of Christ should ever miss out on the joy of what God has called us to participate in, in reaching the nations with the gospel. Not one follower of Christ should ever say, that's not me. That's not my mission. If if you find yourself saying that, if you find yourself saying, man, I'm not called to talk about Jesus to those who are yet to hear about him, I'm not sure you yet know the Jesus that I know from scripture. I'm not yet sure you understand the filling of the Holy Spirit that's equipped you for just that task. The first thing the Holy Spirit do it, did was to fill men to help reach the nations with the gospel. What this means is that he is just as much at work through each of you in this room as followers of Christ to reach the nations that are gathered around you here in the South Loop and the surrounding neighborhoods as he was with Peter in the first century in Jerusalem on that day. You have everything you need the filling of the Spirit, to reach your neighbor with the gospel. Jesus said this other line that's just fascinating to me. He says in Matthew eleven eleven, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Here's what he's saying. John the Baptist, one of the greatest preachers and prophets in all history, if you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got more than John the Baptist ever had. John the Baptist was the front runner to Jesus Christ. He is the one that paved the way 2,000 years ago for Jesus Christ to come. And Jesus says, if you've been filled by the Spirit, then it is to more advantage of you, you have more power, more ability, and will be more effective in the kingdom of God than John the Baptist. Ooh, do we believe that? I heard J.D. Greer, a, a writer and a preacher, recently comment on this. And he said, you know, statistically speaking, someone out there is the least gifted Christian on the planet. (laughs) It's just mathematically, there's got to be someone out, maybe it's someone in this room, maybe one of you has the least amount of giftings that God has chosen to give his followers than anybody else on the entire planet. Maybe it's me. It very well could be me. Some of you are nodding your head. It's probably me. (laughs) Right? And yet that person with the least amount of giftings of 2,000 years of Christians, is more empowered, more equipped, more capable, more to advantage to reach the gospel, to reach the nations with the gospel than John the Baptist. Why? Because God has filled your heart and has overfilled you with God to reach those people. You have what John the Baptist never had. Now this should do two very clear things to us. Number one, this should make us unbelievably humble. Here's what this means for a Christian. You have everything at your disposal to reach the nations with the gospel, to wrap your life into what God is doing around the globe. And it's not you, it's God working through you. We ought to be marked outwardly by the most humble posture we could ever imagine. Why would God choose us? We have nothing to add to this equation. God doesn't need us. He'll do it without us. He's invited us into it. This reality ought to make Christians the most humble people that walk this city. And it also ought to be the, make us the most bold people that walk this city. The reality that God has chosen to fill you with everything you need to reach your neighbor with the gospel, with everything you need to reach the thing that is most near and dear to God's heart, gathering for himself the people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, that reality ought to stir you to take risks for the gospel. It ought to stir you to talk to your neighbor, to love on your neighbor, to talk to your friend, to care for someone in a new way. We ought to be filled with a humbleness and a boldness, to be bold, to take steps of faith, to look for opportunities and to act in love when God gives us opportunities. Now the third and final note is this, and I'll, I'll keep this one brief. People notice a difference in your everyday life. That's the third sign. When people are noticing a difference in your everyday normal life. You know, when we look at this chapter in Acts, I think it's easy to look at the way the Holy Spirit worked in the early church and to think about these unbelievable, miraculous moments where there were healings and there was thousands of people coming to Christ. But I think the end of chapter two gives us this interesting insight into the everyday life of the early church. Let me read it to you. It says this is what their life looked like. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And the apostles were doing many wonders and signs. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. There was a normalcy to the life of these first and second century Christians. Their everyday life became empowered with the fire of the Holy Spirit working through them. And if you notice, they were devoting themselves to four things in that text. It says they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. That's the Bible. They were committed to studying the Word of God. They were committed to the fellowship. That's this room. That means for the Holy Spirit to invade us, to do something powerful through us, we got to be committed to each other, to this community. They were committed to the breaking of bread. That's the communion meal, remembering Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And they were committed to prayers. They were praying faithfully. And God was blessing their community. This is how God works. We stay close to Jesus. You want more God in your life. You want more Holy Spirit. You want to experience more in your life. It's not a hard equation. You devote yourself to the word of God. You commit yourself to prayer. Plug into a community. Take the communion meal with celebration in your heart. And over the normalcy of your everyday, the fire of the Holy Spirit begins to work through you in ways you'd never ask or imagine. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. We acknowledge him in all our ways. He then paves our way. You know, when I was in Thailand, after I said that question to my coworkers, one of the missionaries who had been there longer than I, said, you know, Rafe, the book of Acts, (laughs) that's the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The book of Acts, the book of Acts gives us the highlights of many years of ministry. It gives us these moments in the lives of the New Testament apostles that were the highlights of their faith, where there was these amazing things the Holy Spirit did and showed off. But it doesn't necessarily record outside of those few verses I read, the day in, day out, just everyday faithfulness of Christians living their lives. And the role of a Christian, whether here in Thailand or back in Chicago, is not whether these amazing, miraculous things are happening every day, but the mark of the Holy Spirit is your everyday life being filled by devotion to his word and prayer and allowing Jesus to work through you. Do you know what this means? What this means is that what you do every day matters, and it's no less or more than if you were watching 3,000 people come to Jesus Christ in one particular moment. Your hours spent at the office are filled by the Holy Spirit and equipped to reach your neighbors with the gospel, equipped to give you a joy in that moment no less or no more than when God chooses to do the the supernatural through you. And over the course of a faithful Christian life, you will experience moments that will shake you to your core where God just shows off in your life. I've heard a few of those recently. I've heard a few of those recently where God has just given visions and dreams and done miraculous, but in the everyday moments of your life, in those moments of parenting, in those moments of just walking your kids down the street, loving your family, caring for your neighbors, the Holy Spirit works through Christians in unbelievable ways. If we want to experience the Holy Spirit in this place, it's as simple as recognizing what God's already done in your life. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, he lives and has filled you and equipped you with everything you need to light every moment of your life on fire to get after the mission he's already given you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we rejoice this morning, recognizing that you are good, that you have given us your spirit. God, I pray that you activate us wherever there has been less than, wherever we have been neglecting the work of the spirit in us and putting up barriers to be able to hear and and see what he's doing. I pray that you change that in us today. Let us leave here filled in a new way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.